stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. So we heard the uh, speech from the throne, the governor general laying out the governor, uh, the government's agenda in this uh, fall sitting of parliament. It is an ambitious agenda. And uh, certainly it'll be a costly one if they follow through on all of this, a national child care system, a national pharma care system, extending the emergency wage subsidy uh, into next summer. And a lot of kind of vague promises about investments, investments uh, in supporting the middle class, investments in supporting businesses so that one million jobs can be created, investments in healthcare, investments in testing. Uh, so a lot of big promises in this throne speech. But again, let's remember that uh, we're already, even before today, staring in the face of a deficit that's uh, over $300 billion as a result of CERB, the wage subsidy, and everything else the government has done to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic uh, and the ensuing economic crisis. The uh, C.D. Howe Institute's working group on the economy, uh, the fiscal and uh, tax working group, uh, sounding uh, the alarm a little bit uh, in a report they released yesterday uh, regarding further unfunded and ongoing spending, that this could be unsustainable for the federal government. Well, joining us uh, to talk more about this, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, the Honorable John Manley, of course, uh, former federal finance minister, co-chair of the Fiscal and Tax Working Group at the C.D. Howe Institute, cdhowe.org. Mr. Manley, thanks for joining us here today. Welcome to the program. My pleasure, Rob. Thank you. All right. Well, let me get your initial impressions of what you heard in that speech from the throne and what this might mean for uh, the government's plans and, and the government's finances. Well, I think it's important to remember a speech from the throne is... Uh, an outline. It's mm-hmm. not unimportant, uh, but show me the budget, show me the money, and uh, and then we can talk. Some of the the long-lasting programs that you referred to, uh, you know, a, a, a pharmacare program, a childcare program, uh, as lasting programs would ring a few alarm bells given what we uh, uncovered, you know, just running the numbers at the C.D. Howe Institute. Um, and by that, I mean, if, if you just take the, the, if you assume that the current special programs are going to end in the next fiscal year, and you assume that all government program spending stays at what it was before the pandemic on a, on a continuing basis, then we're going to still run uh, deficits for the next 10 years on the order of $40 billion a year. That's probably sustainable. But if we ramp it up at all, then we move into that territory where deficits will keep rising. Uh, the amount of debt we have in relation to our economy will keep rising. And uh, we risk undermining the confidence that the international community has shown in Canada's ability to manage its fiscal situation. Right. And and what what is the downside of that? I mean, there's certainly the risk of, of further credit downgrades, and, and that would affect our ability to carry this debt and, and service this debt. But what are the implications, though, of, you know, getting on that kind of dangerous trajectory and seeing that debt-to-GDP ratio rise? Well, it gets harder and harder to deal with it as, as you go along. I mean, I was in a government where we had to make some really hard decisions back in 1995. It wasn't that isn't pleasant, mm-hmm. and it's very hard to get the political will to do that. It's very hard to get 
the broad public support for doing it. I think circumstances were a little bit unique in 1995, and, and we were able to get both of those things. But as, as, as you gradually work your way into it, and, and you see it a little bit in the language and the speech from the throne, it's not the time for austerity. Well, you know, I don't know anyone that's asking for austerity. Right. Um, but does that mean it's the time to spend on anything for whatever reason, no matter what, without really being tough-minded about uh, whether the public is getting good value for the money, whether it's actually going to uh, create some of the benefits that that uh, are being described. I'm, I'm not so sure. Well, the, the speech mentioned a couple of times, and, and maybe it's more of a political term than an economic one, but the idea of Canada's fiscal firepower, and that might have meant something different a year ago, and it might mean something different in a couple of years. I mean, w- what do you take that to mean, and, and what do we have in terms of fiscal firepower? Well, we're very fortunate that we had... Uh, quite a, a, a low and, and, and somewhat declining uh, debt-to-GDP ratio going into this. And we're also very fortunate that interest rates are at uh, essentially all-time lows. So that's, that's good because it means that we, we have more borrowing capacity than we would have had if we hadn't uh, if we hadn't built up that, you know, those years of, of, of good discipline. And it also means that, that uh, we're not being eaten alive by the, the cost of servicing our debt. Um, back in the 90s when this was a problem, um, your, your listeners won't remember, but we were paying a, a third of every dollar of tax revenue to service the debt. So if you didn't think you were getting your money's worth from the government, it was because... You weren't. You were only getting two-thirds of a dollar for every dollar you contributed. The rest was going just to pay interest. Now we're down around roughly eight cents of every dollar goes to pay the interest. However, interest rates cannot really go any further down, but they can definitely go up. And the prospect of facing higher interest rates with a ballooning debt uh, that's where you get into trouble, and that's where you, fu- you find that, uh, that, that maintaining programs and uh, maintaining confidence of the global investment community is harder to do because we're not saving enough in Canada to fund our own, our own debt. Uh, we've got to, you know, we've got to borrow internationally, and uh, that's going to be key. And the other thing that, that, that you should know is, uh, we also have to keep an eye on the other deficit, which is our current account deficit, which is the difference between what we buy from overseas, from outside Canada, and what we sell. And, we're, and with the decline in natural resource prices, that is a second deficit that's building, and that will put further pressure on our currency. Now, one of the recommendations from the uh, working group was that if the government is going to proceed with new programs, that, that there should be uh, the tax revenues generated to pay for those programs. Now, there was some some mention of some various tax measures limiting stock option deductions for wealthy individuals or taxing uh, digital giants, um, but th- those seem fairly targeted and, and modest. I mean, is there a sense here that the government feels that it, it needs to, to pay for this new spending um i i think that those are are, are pretty uh, minor compared to 
um, the amount of revenue that's going to be needed if we if we create a, a lot of new programs. Um, you know, there's there's it's unfortunate, but um, any kind of tax increase is going to hit the middle class. Uh, that's just where most of the money is. Um, yeah, you, you know, it's a, it's a time-honored tradition to insist on taxing the wealthy. Trouble is there just aren't enough of them. And they have this awful tendency of leaving if you tax them too much. Right. Yes. Um, so if you're going to increase taxes, uh, certainly the most efficient one to increase uh, is the GST at the federal level. Uh, we all know how popular that would be, um, yes. and if you don't, if you don't want to do that, then you're going to look at, at raising overall tax rates because it's in that middle category where all the money is. So, uh, you know, yeah, tax the tech giants; they can retaliate in various ways, as they've demonstrated elsewhere. Uh, but it's still probably good policy. I mean, why you have to, you know, pay. Uh, sales tax if you go to a movie at Cineplex, but you don't have to pay it if you watch Netflix. That's kind of a strange thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, that still, taxes are still paid by people, and most of the people are middle class. Now, in terms of, of policies and, and targeted spending that, that focuses on, on growth, I mean, one can make an argument then that the idea of the wage subsidy maybe addresses that or incentives for hiring it might do that even the idea of of child care whether it's a national child care some other targeted support for child care that that can actually uh, help people get back to work and, and help the economy but is that really is that where the priority needs to be on on promoting growth and, and job growth productivity growth specifically well I, I'd split those two apart I mean I, I think first of all we're we're in the midst of uh, a pandemic that is without precedent in our history and our experience. And um, if, if it weren't for these measures of, uh, you know, supporting people's loss of income and supporting businesses so that they can keep people engaged with the workforce and can continue paying their fixed costs and staying alive, well, we'd be in the Great Depression. Um, I, I don't think there's any choice here uh, but for... Uh, funding many of those programs, but they should be seen as programs that are interim programs to get us to the other end of the pandemic. Um, when you start to look at what can we do to make, uh, to build a growth agenda, then really you have to look at, um, at, at what makes our economy more productive. What is uh, what is what can government do to ensure that we we make our economy more competitive, uh, more capable of uh, winning in some of those international markets that are important? And uh, quite frankly, what what's it going to take for us to diversify our economy away from some of the things that we've relied upon in past years? Um, that uh, that have fallen on hard times. Well, let's uh, steer people in the direction of cdhow.org and much more on the work from the uh, Fiscal and Tax Working Group. John Manley, appreciate your insight on all of this, and uh, thanks so much for making uh, some time for us here today. Not at all. My pleasure. Thank you.
All right. All the best. Uh, that is uh, the Honorable John Manley, of course, former federal finance minister and uh, co-chair of the uh, Fiscal and Tax Working Group at the C.D. Howe Institute, cdhow.org. Our number here, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. Plenty more still to get to in the program here this afternoon. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.